This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had with Duncan So. Duncan is an expert in workplace well-being and burnout recovery, delivering clinical burnout retreat experiences to help workplace leaders quickly recover from burnout and empower their careers. Having been a child of corporate burnout, it has led him professionally into the field of human flourishing for over a decade, working on systemic social change projects. He's a graduate from the University of Toronto in engineering. In private practice, he is a board-certified master practitioner of NLP, MER, and clinical hypnotherapy with the Association of Integrative Psychology. We talked all about this idea of burnout, how to navigate a quarter-life crisis and identity crisis, and the steps that he's taking to approach this from a clinical standpoint and the results that he's seeing. It's really, really fascinating. Uh, Duncan is such an amazing mix of the clinical psychology side, but also the very in-tune spiritual side, and I love this mix. It was such an enjoyable conversation. Check out the Burnout Clinic website, www.theburnoutclinic.com, and connect with Duncan on LinkedIn. The link is in the show notes or on IG at the burnout clinic. If you like this podcast, go check out episode number 41 with Wade Bruffy or number 103 with Stu Massingal. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Duncan. Hey, Duncan, welcome on to the show. Thanks for being here. Yes, yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Absolutely. So you are, uh, you've got a great, nice backdrop there. It's not a Zoom uh, green screen backdrop. It's a real one. You're out in, uh, in St. Lucia. Where are you at? Tell us. I am in St. Lucia. So we've partnered with an amazing group uh, called Sunwing Travel up in Canada, but they're in North America as well. So they own a resort called the Royalton uh, here in St. Lucia. So it gives people an amazing sort of a premium experience uh, where they can do your general rax, uh, relax and uh, and rest, but they also get included a uh, two-day clinical. So really go into burnout recovery and clearing so much, uh, you know, suppressed emotions and destructive beliefs, inner conflicts, all that from your nervous system. So you essentially come out liberated with so much more mental, emotional energy and just extra bandwidth and a, a completely mm. different outlook for your uh, career and life. So it's definitely a transcendental experience that, you know, one, as a practitioner, great for me to get to witness that, but more important mm -hmm. for them to have them experience such a, a big breakthrough in their life. Totally. That's so cool, man. So burnout. So you run the burnout clinic. Um, it's such an amazing, such an interesting, amazing thing you're doing. But I, the term is so interesting to me, too, the idea of burnout. And I feel like it's something that's been talked about a lot more, especially recently. It's like a common term that people know if people are trying to avoid burnout, people are burning out. Like, can you talk to me just about like the idea and philosophy of burnout? Yeah, so I'll give a few few angles uh, towards mm -hmm. it because burnout's an interesting one because burnout's actually a metaphor. Like, can you imagine, like, if you looked at any like mental 
an emotional health challenge and they have that whole DSM, that book, uh, you know, all that language, you don't understand. It's all like specific, you know, its own language, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas burnout is interesting because we relate to it. It's as if the flame inside of inside us has been extinguished. And so, you know, we all, we can all relate to it. So when we, sometimes we may interchange it the wrong way, like I'm stressed and they exaggerate it a bit and call it burnout uh, when it's just uh, stress. But really the strict definition from the, the World Health Organization is uh, mismanaged chronic uh, stress, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. chronic stress being a big part of it. Now, while that's, in, and especially in the workplace, so the WHO kind of pins it on the workplace and having gone through the, this whole uh, two, two and a half year situation, we kind of know that it's not just in the workplace, it's all areas of life. And uh, that reflects as well, uh, coming into the clinic with all of our clients' experiences. And so the clinic, we're a little bit different, we're a little looser because we have to actually address the issue and take an evidence-based approach doing it. And so how we define it is when you expend more energy than you can replenish as a habit. And so Mm. once you spend on that, you're able to look at the habits. Some could be simple things, some could be big things. Uh, and really begin to like, for example, that. what are some of the simple things or big things of those habits? Yeah. So I'll go into behaviors, right? So behaviors as an example could be our social media, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're so dopamine entrained uh, to, to our social media and it's become an extension of not just who we are, but how we behave on the day to day that instead of being in control and using our tools, our tools control us. And we kind of know when you have you know, things like AI and exponential tech and really smart computing, forget like the, the, the new stuff, just the old stuff um, as a whole uh, is really targeting how we behave. So we sort of lose, we disempower ourselves. We lose our own uh, agency towards our behaviors and habitualizes, right? And so when it dings, when it rings, when it vibrates, you know, instantly we, uh, you know, are so neuro associated to uh, instantly responding uh, to our phones mm-hmm. and that becomes a poor habit all the way to things like, you know, really popular in, in our spaces, especially burnout, where on a cognitive level, sometimes you know the things you shouldn't do, like the phone, uh, but you still do it anyway. And we call it compulsive behaviors. And sometimes it's driven from really deep-rooted beliefs, like I'm not enough, or I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this, right? And so we double down, we work so hard unconsciously because we're trying to prove something at the unconscious level because we've been wounded before you know, usually in our childhood, uh, if anything, and or even before that. So as we look at that and start to clear that programming right out of your nervous system, and you lose that structure, that relationship, it's not just about disassociating as you clear that out. So when you reassociate, you can't feel it anymore. Um, you know, that's when you know change happens. And, you know, what's you know, really powerful about not just doing other simple behavior shifts, all the way down to changing uh, deep rooted uh, beliefs is the ability to release suppressed emotions. So sometimes again, we suppress our emotions to get totally. to the way. And you know, we we look at the world through you know the lens of you know it doesn't have to be some big traumatic event. It's those small things that add up over time, building habits, right? And and you know one of my favorite things to say today is especially if audiences are achievers themselves, they're you know they they, they like to hit goals and that type of stuff. Is they're actually very successful at being burnt out. Uh, your goal is to how do you fail burnout, right? So it goes mm-hmm. the opposite. So once you learn how to fail burnout, then it's easy to install uh, new behaviors and belief systems and thought processes that uh, are very in tune to our uh, general overall well-being. That's great. And I know this is the first clinic that you're doing back in person after the pandemic. 
but how tell me a little bit more about how many people have you worked with through this? Like, how have you refined this approach? Yeah, so we started in Belize and that was sort of, you know, before the clinic, I'm a systems change leader. So do a lot of like fast iterations and prototypes. So we took many cohorts in our private network coming down. And, you know, Belize was interesting because it was small, it's boutique, right? So we had a mm-hmm. chance, my wife and I co-founded it and we uh, went down to Belize and we started to make, build relationships with local uh, resorts. And it was interesting because uh, when 2020 hit, March 2020 hit, uh, it was one of those tarmac to tarmac stories where, you know, our last client left and one was coming in and literally I'm living under a palm tree, no joke on a hammock. Um, And, you know, the world at large is going through sort of an immediate uh, shift, call that way, a huge, not just a crisis, but a pattern uh, interrupt. And so I was like, why? So people are hoarding toilet paper. That's kind of weird. What's going on? Is this like, is it a joke? Is it some sort of like, you know, uh, thing on, on, on my social media? And I called my sister and she's in Toronto and she was like, no, this is, aren't you like in tune with the pandemic? I'm like, not really, because, you know, it's in, is it in China? Like, no, it's coming over pretty soon. And literally after that call and our clients were like, hey, you know, I'm just on, on edge. We're not flying down. Uh, that night, uh, the government of Belize shut everything down. Wow. All the ferries down, airports down, everything shut down. Everyone's in isolation. And I'm like, wow, I'm stranded on this island. I have probably uh, a good maybe four or five months at least left uh, for supposedly the rest of our clients coming down. And now it's me and my wife and my dog uh, here. And, and our, our prime minister, Trudeau of Canada, literally were repatriating all our expats saying, hey, come home. I know Canada's all big on snowboarding and having that dual lifestyle, come home. And he literally flew an empty, he negotiated with an airline, uh, WestJet, and flew an empty plane down. And we all paid for the plane going back home. And, you know, literally going to that big plane, uh, we were stranded on a small island, uh, happened to, it was very community oriented, happened to know somebody that knew somebody uh, that knew the owner of a small airline uh, for the island and literally flew off. A, they, we booked three Cessnas, all of the expats hopped on the Cessnas off to the international airport onto our plane and back to Canada and Whoa. business imploded. Literally, we had to pivot because no longer we were doing these retreats. And so, you know, it was really great because that gave us an opportunity to uh, work directly at the systems level uh, with mm. HR in the workplace and do, you know, retraining and awareness and education and all these great things around, you know, what now it's popularized as burnout. But, you know, when in 2020, it was just anxiety. It was just anxiety, crisis management. What is this going to look like moving in the next uh, two to two and a half years? Because there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, mm. So yeah. So now that we're reopened, uh, slightly a different story because not just you know our, our typical clientele is work up our uh, HR leaders, CEOs, senior executives. But now that we have sort of HR as well as part of that conversation, it's a brave new world, right? We're starting a a recombination of what does burnout retreats look like combined with. Uh, training and empowering uh, the workplace with uh, leaders, right? To not just become aware of it, but also uh, be uh, inspiration or, or we call it like uh, torchbearers of this type of change. So yeah, know, out there. that's incredible. So if you were to ballpark, like how many people have you worked with through the burnout clinic and in wow. all those various ways? So just myself, I use at least like 30, 40 plus clients, uh, just myself. Amazing. Uh, as yeah. a private practice in the clinic. And before that, because I did empowerment work with young leaders, um, well, we did our average cohorts, like 25 people went through three cohorts, but just on the awareness side, an average class mm-hmm. size of 3,500 people. 
you can imagine. Incredible. So a lot Incredible. of youth change leadership work. So and, yeah. Very yeah. cool. And so what's, did you go through burnout? Like how did you, what's the, I want to hear about a little bit about the, uh, the, the origin story here. So here's my Genesis story, right? So the origin story yeah. was, uh, there was no word burnout back in the day, right? So burnout was a label coin, like labeled for frontline workers, like doctors and nurses, mm-hmm. social workers, that type of stuff. And today we kind of relabeled it, even though it is still burnout, but they have a, a special label called moral injury, right? Because, uh, they, they deal with life and death. Um, but nevertheless, uh, again, back to my definition, if you're expending more energy than you can recover uh, as a habit, uh, that can happen in all, like in, in, for anybody. And so, you know, it happened to me in sort of 2011, 2012. So funny story there. So that was sort of my awakening moment. But as an engineer, so as an engineer back then, I didn't do a, have a private practice as a clinician uh, in, in a space for NLP, neuro linguistic programming. But back then, it was just as a young engineer. Uh, this was when Facebook was still a web page. Apple was still selling computers. Forget an iPhone. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the BlackBerry was still a thing. I had a BlackBerry to my hip. And so, you know, I started my career. Literally, I came in the office at 7 and I left the office around 9 p.m. First one in, last person out, you know, playing this whole be a young leader, uh, growing leader in this, this tech startup, which was called Virgin Mobile back in the day. Mm-hmm. Still exists, a Richard Branson company. Uh, and it was, at that time, one of those, you know, uh, you would call it the unicorn, right? Because they had a massive infusion of cash. Not like today where you can do series ABC and go down that route. It was like, you don't start. And you know, if you don't have like multi hundred millions of dollars, you're not really doing something uh, nationally, right? And mm-hmm. so I was considered as part of that startup uh, ecosystem in a time where startup and entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. It was the MBA world. Uh, everything was there. And, you know, I nervous, literally nervous, plucked my entire right eyebrow off. Uh, as a expression of my burnout, my a relationship at that time, my long-term relationship at that time imploded. Um, and all I could do was think about work. And so that was a challenge. And, and so I thought I was having a quarter life crisis, you know, where people were still having a midlife crisis. And I was having a quarter life crisis. And uh, at that time, my mentors, my managers, the leaders of that time, you know, the Gen X baby boomers thought I was just another entitled millennial get it we went through the grind and blah 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 why are you struggling through this uh what makes you different than than who we were and a lot of it was technology right because that was the early days of the social dilemma where i was entrained to technology and uh you know as a young computer engineer you can call it ux design patterns that's what we call it today but it was in covertly it was just you know psychology used in very warped ways to get people to do things and entrain themselves and that just did not connect well with me mm-hmm. as an there. And so you can imagine, not just was I having this quarter life crisis, but I was having an identity crisis. Who am I? Why am I doing this? You know, I checked all the boxes, made the parents, Asian parents proud, became an engineer, was a professional, making the six figures. What's going on? And here you are, you know, having this life crisis. And I didn't want to eat, pray, love out of it. Because back then, what was popular was you know, eat, pray, love, Julia Roberts, grab a backpack and go on some sort of vocational vacation and maybe hike your way to the mountaintops of Machu Picchu and hopefully uh, God will come down on you and you'll get some massive clarity, some transformation. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. The young engineer in me is like, I want to take a very step-by-step pragmatic approach to try to figure this out. And if I do, if I can, uh, how can I lead others who may be going through these sim- uh, similar issues to go down that route? And you know, I call that my, my purpose awakening, 
uh, that was my period. And now we're going through this great resignation, which is a great purpose awakening. Uh, people are going through this en masse, which is crazy because, you know, talk about timing and being a, a, a light bearer for this type of work. Uh, and so I went through that and, and you know, I know you're in, in San Diego, California, then connected to all the folks in Human Flourishing, the Esalon Institute, and, you know, all these great leaders, the Deepak Chopra's of the world uh, that were really into this sort of integrative uh, mind-body lifestyle, uh, bringing in the spiritual practices, but from a scientific approach, mm. demonstrating through evidence, you know, how that leads to some, not just peak performance, but how that can really make you flourish as a human being. And so spent a decade there and started to work on, as a systems change leader for youth, you know, to empower themselves in their communities and uh, become social entrepreneurs, quote unquote, or impact leaders and make a difference to the causes and communities important to them. So that was, you know, a, a good experience uh, learning myself what human flourishing actually means. I love that. And I love the eat, pray, love your way out of it. I, uh, I, I did a bit of the eat, pray, love thinking that that was going to get me the answers, right? I was... Um, I was just unfulfilled at the job that I was working out of college and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I know that I knew that what I was doing wasn't it. And so I quit my job, my nice, stable, cushy income job and bought a one-way ticket to Southeast Asia to backpack around for eight months and, um, thinking I would find the answers when I came back. The reality was that I was just, uh, I just procrastinated. <laughs> it was just a procrastination to some extent. I mean, look, I had amazing experiences. I wouldn't trade for the world and, and, I, it got me to where I am, so I'm grateful for what I did. But uh, it it just delayed me actually dealing with asking myself and answering the tough questions. And then I also just burned through my savings. So it was kind of like, so I, I like that approach of, um, and that's a big reason I'm passionate about providing this, the work that I'm doing with people as well, is to help them. Like you don't have to eat, pray, love your way out of it. I love using that as a verb. That's brilliant. Um, so that that definitely that definitely strikes me. So what? So my question to you is, what were what were some of those things that you found that were helpful or useful to you um, that allowed you to not have to eat, pray, pray, love your way out of it? Yeah. Wow. So I mean, you can imagine I, as a young engineer, and I not not as emotionally developed as I am today. Everything was very intellectual. When I first got introduced to energy and energy fields, we talk about how woo woo that is, and, and what today you might call like quantum physics and all mm -hmm. of the interesting phenomena, not just from a mathematical approach and a technological approach, but from a human approach of what that looks like. So, you know, as I was going through that, that was unexplainable to me. I saw mm. results and outcomes, but that was unexplainable to me. The, the ability to measure fields and do all those different things. And I was like, and, and as a young computer engineer, uh, I would say in, in 10 years in it, my specialty was in uh, social networks and distributed in, in, in mm. networks. You can imagine, I'm like, Wow, human beings are what are like cell phones. Like the metaphors are clicking, right? Like we're transceivers of, of, of frequency. We can not just send prayer and receive, right? Uh, meditation. We can do some really amazing things. And you know, you can, you know, because your audience is, is comfortable with it, I'll share with that. So I got into all the energy healing stuff, right? So I'm like, what the heck is this? You can remember my stepfather is like, he was chief of gynecology at his hospital. My mother was a registered nurse. My dad's an architect. So we were all professionals. And I was like, I'm getting results doing this woo-woo stuff. And, and on, on my family side, it's medic, med medicine, right? It's like just standard medicine. And I'm like, I can't explain this. I can't, and I can't even do any of it. Like I can do this type of stuff, but I can't really grab other than it works, right? And so yeah. I went through 
you know, especially, and, and for those who are congruent with it, especially the teachers in the space who are congruent with it, are just teaching this and I'm just absorbing like a sponge, being a, a, a student of life and just, you know, let's go through this, rehealed my eyebrow, skin cleared out, started mm -hmm. to, on all of the relationships I had in terms of the baggage I had started to clear. And then one practice I fell in love with because it was the closest thing that mirrored, that still had, you know, those outcomes. So we always, in our field, we call it different paths lead to the same sort of destination. What path do you mm -hmm. want to choose? And so the path I chose is a path called neuro-linguistic programming. And your audience might be familiar with it because that is sort of the foundation of what the Tony Robbins uh, uses. But back in the day, pre-Tony Robbins, who really popularized it, it was designed for therapists, right? Tony was hiding behind the door to try to sneak in to learn this stuff. And they're all like MDs and psychologists and psychiatrists that were taking this stuff. And, you know, that opened in the 70s, finally opened to the sort of the mainstream, uh, part pseudoscience, part now more evidence-based because we take a very uh, interventional approach uh, towards this. And, you know, I fell in love with a specific process called mental emotional release. So that's sort of an advanced modality within the master practitioner level uh, modality within NLP. And what was really powerful about that was, you know, since we're all sort of in the biohacking type of a thing, uh, initially it was called timeline therapy invented by Dr. Tad James. Uh, and what he found as almost a phenomenon was how our unconscious mind uh, builds a relationship with time. So you can imagine we always spiritually and spiritual practices always talk about don't live in the future, don't live in the past, you have to be present. And he took it to the next level and said, you know, time is actually a human construct because every, all animals live in the present. Really humans invent this stuff. But the real question is how do we construct time? Right, so that was the real big question. And started to study that as a phenomenon, how, how, we, how we know in the future when we set goals, uh, in the future when we have these goals, we know, so we're not delusional, that that's in the future and it holds no emotions. But yet things in the past, like traumas or things to remember or resentments and all those things in the past somehow bear emotion. And so yeah. it's interesting, right? So with the ex slight exception of anxiety that can be stored in the future, Everything from a timeline lens, when you, especially when you move in a timeline of your unconscious construction is non-space, non-time, right? This is a meditator's dream, right? Because we all talk about this. When you move into the present, you're meditating, and you move into uh, no space, no time. But you kind of access the same thing in, in, in what we call timeline therapy now, modern day called mental emotional release. And they found, well, if we can biohack it, if, we, if, if the unconscious mind with how you construct time knows in the future we can store emotions, what if we were to trick the mind so that we take a past, go all the way to a, phob a phobia or a trauma or whatever it is, and just pretend that it's the future? What would happen? That was the, that was the hypothesis, the theory. And what happened was understanding how the nervous system and unconscious mind related with time did that, all of the emotions just release. Hmm. Didn't have to associate, didn't have to relive, didn't have to, don't have to do presensitization, don't have to do any of those. And those emotions release fast. And as you reassociate to those events, you can't feel it anymore. So that was like a huh moment, like a huh moment. Like this is really cool using NLP as we understand how our, our nervous system, neuro and linguistic, how language internal, external with our, uh, how we program that inside. And programming obviously is, you know, how all that works, but we can look at how our neurology has a relationship with time and, and emotions and can clear that so quickly. And so what we found in the beginning of, of timeline therapy was not just can we release emotions 
and you can't reconnect with it, that you can't, and you can move through life completely changed because now that's gone, we will reevaluate re your timeline in light of new, if it's a blocked belief, it'll be new decisions and everything. And it's so empowering that the way we measure it as an evidence-based approach is before we do our intervention work, we actually elicit your values, your identity. And then after it's done, we do the same thing and your values change. And so from an evidence-based lens, some of the well-documented times that actually happens outside of MER, near-death experiences, right? Yes, your hilltops of Machu Picchu, right? Uh, that happens as well. Holding a baby in your arms for the first time and suddenly identity shifts, right? Or what we call the astronaut effect, right? You fly to space and you just realize how interconnected we are and, and, and astronauts are tearing, right? The, the nervous mm. system is just integrating. And so we can create those type of transformational or transcendental experiences uh, with this level of work. And that's why, you know, when it comes to burnout, uh, one of the key takeaways for burnout is, yes, there's a metaphoric component to it, but at the same time, you're put to such an extreme, especially during these times with the pandemic, that isn't it time for that awakening and isn't time to really wake mm -hmm. up to who you are and, you know, really, you know, the whole spiritual aspect is be, do, and have and not get stuck in this, what we call do have loop, right? Or have do loops uh, that perpetuates essentially this hustle culture, this grind, the rat race, things that we've been dealing with since, um, you know, the early stages of industrialization, right? So mm. now it's, it's, that's, it's an important time. Yeah, that's really fascinating around the, those moments that kind of where it's like the astronaut effect or holding a baby, right? Those moments that kind of leave you they rock you with all like those that's the best way i can put it just like rocks you and i love those moments and i feel like i seek those moments naturally and i i love receiving those moments and bringing those moments into the present so tell me a little bit more about like what's what's actually happening in those moments from a physiology standpoint like is it our like what's happening with our nervous system in those moments when we're feeling that like undescribable feeling or that feeling of awe or those perspective shifts or paradigm shifts or way of looking at the world changes yeah so this is what we call that's why this is in a space called integrative psychology because we integrate if you can think the opposite is true usually when we struggle we don't there's not saying it's good and bad emotions but the ones that mm -hmm. were that will label bad like the anger the sadness or the anxiety or the hurt or the guilt or whatever those are just indicators. I mean, as human beings, we have a full mm -hmm. spectrum of emotions. The only challenge is it's not that uh, those emotions bring a little pain. That's fine. Pain can help you grow is when it becomes chronic and we turn, we move from pain into suffering. Uh, so that's, you know, all the spiritual teachers always mm -hmm. talk about pain is not a bad thing, but that, that, that's that insanity. That's that struggle, that chronic struggle that you go through every day. Why, like, why do you choose that? And from an empower empowerment lens, it's powerful because uh, what NLP does as a, as, a, as a practice is it moves you back to cause. So it says, now, not just do we have the techniques for it, but we get you back uh, so that you're in control. It's not some leadership bumper sticker that says take responsibility. Is what does take responsibility really mean? So the principle of um, the law of cause and effect, right? When you move to cause to say, okay, everything that happens in my life, I either create it or have an influence towards it. Now I can change my outside circumstances, but what I can do is change my inside circumstances. And then the mirror out of it uh, will begin to change. And so to walk you from a more of a physiological uh, perspective, when we go through as an example, like MER, is one we elicit, we have to go before we even run it, is how does each person uh, 
describe or construct their timeline. And we can, you can, we can do it live right now, right? So if you were to close your eyes and mm -hmm. point to tomorrow's breakfast, where would you point to, right? And then if you were to point to a memory of, uh, you know, what was yesterday's lunch, where would you point to, right? And so you, there'll be two points in space. And if you connect those two points, it infers a line. That's your timeline. And so everyone is different, right? So my last client, we had one client that did a V. So the, the past was moving sort of a V going from top left and the future was going to, to top right, right? One client was literally, and you would think, right? The, the future was to his left and the, and the past was to his right. Now, some people like me would be like the future is for us. We're always like, you know, onward and upward. Let's move forward. Mm. That's the future. It's a metaphor, but unconsciously, that's how we code stuff, right? So some people are, uh, their future as a line is in front of them and their past is behind them, right? Some for those who are really what we call like uh, really good with time, uh, usually have their timeline where the past is to the left and their future is to the right. And they see time in front of them, right? Left to right. So you've, usually those are the ones who are uh, very timely. They, they're, they're almost disassociated. They see time, right? As they're walking through it. Whereas those who are front to back generally are, they live in time. So they're present, but they're sometimes late. Don't get me wrong, they're sometimes late. And do those different things. So the first part we do is we, we have them learn uh, how they construct their timeline and then they play with it, right? So we can close our eyes and it's a light trance. It's not, it's not hypnosis. I, I'm a... Uh, I do hypnosis clinically, but it's not hypnosis. So we don't go into deep trance work. It's light trance, right? You hear instructions and they're like teaching them, how do you move towards the past? How do you move towards the future? How do you move a timeline around? How do you play with it essentially? Mm. Because once you know how to, how to operate the qualities of it, then you can do some amazing things, right? Yeah. For those who are interested, uh, the details are actually in the book called Mental Emotion Release, written by my mentor, Dr. Matthew James. So you can pick it up on Amazon. But, you know, in the essence for this description, um, you know, in terms of physiology and how you feel it, what's really cool is uh, we can get you to move to events. And what we do differently and for what we found in the space of anything when it comes to long lasting results, there is always a, a element or a quality of regression. If you ask any type of, even a psychotherapist, like if you can regress down to the past and clear stuff early on, it's powerful. And what MER is really even more nifty that I find as an engineer, as less a clinician, but as an engineer that I find useful because it operates in non-space, non-time. It's not just as it go to the root cause of it, but because you're in non-space, non-time, uh, and it depends on different clients and how developed they are. So generally I find clients that come in and, and do a lot of ego work, especially with burnout, uh, clear stuff within their lifetime, right? It's, you know, within the first seven years in child development, you've imprinted something of a negative experience and clearing that. Those who are on the spiritual path that have had their awakening moment, but still having their own challenges, we call dealing with shadow work uh, for those who are in this space who deal with shadow work. A lot of their suppressed beliefs and emotions and inner conflicts come from past lives or past generations in non-space, non-time. Now, it doesn't matter. From my lens, it doesn't. We call it that's a, that's that's how your neurology, how your nervous system maps it out, how it plays it out. For me, I don't care. What I do care is that you can release it, and so we regress them back to the initial event, the first event, and we clear it, and then we move down the timeline or the gestalt. We move through all of the events. Mm -hmm coming back to now 
And like a domino effect, we just clear all the emotions. And most importantly, because we have a trans-like effect, we work with the unconscious mind to preserve the learnings. And so one of the big takeaways for any type of change work is if you preserve the learnings, uh, then reality shifts because sometimes the challenge is you may clear the symptoms of it, but it repeats itself, right? You, you burn out today, you're clear of it, you feel like a hundred, a million dollars, but you go back and you repeat the same experience or you leave a relationship because you're heartbroken because of this circumstance to end up going back to a relationship, having the same thing, right? So you can imagine from a, almost a neurological to a, we call psychosomatic, a mind-body. So we're completely a psychosomatic pro process. From a mind-body, when the mind begins to change those inner deep belief systems, right? It begins to reflect down into the emotional body, into the physical body, and you, and you literally see the world with a different lens, which is a cool thing. Uh, and secondarily with it, make different decisions. And ultimately, when you make different decisions, you move to new strategies, new behaviors, new actions that lead to ultimately to the results you want to get to. And that's the premise of NLP pretty much. Incredible. So what, what do you think? I know there's a lot of different retreats. There's a lot of events and uh, I've, I've experienced this as well from, from being mm -hmm. participant in different retreats and some of these retreat experiences, or and I know you guys call your, you have clinic in the word because you really are measuring what you're doing, but what's happening when people will go to Tony Robbins event or any event of that matter or retreat and they're all like super high and hyped up and in the moment they're all committed to the change and then they go back home and nothing changes like what's happening there and how do you approach that yeah so it's so at the end of it for, and this is for anybody by the way so for any retreat leaders uh, designing experiences and even and Tony knows this obviously he knows this is we do our best to do integration right so at the end of the day uh, even a Tony Robbins event, and he's an NLPer, by the way. So he does this type of mm -hmm. stuff. And if you go into, say, Unleash the Power Within, his, his like three or four day event, he uses something called the, uh, it was like a, a process where essentially you just associate so deeply into your pain. Uh, it was back to that story of, remember that past, present, future story, was it called? The mm -hmm. one with, with Scrooge? But he has a process he calls that way. He has you associate and blow that experience so high that your nervous system just, it just explodes. And, and that's an NLP technique, by the way, uh, Dickens, because of the Dickens process. Um, so, you know, you can imagine you're trying to take these type of interventions and you're trying to interlay them into an experience and it's tough, right? And so Tony, for example, his goal isn't to get you into that deep level of change. And that's why what makes us different is when we do these burnout retreats, it's really just two days of intervention with hidden within a seven day when we, we say retreat, a seven-day vacation at a premium resort, uh, just because there is a mental health stigma in the workplace when it comes to uh, dealing with burnout. So we shadow it a bit, we, we, we reframe it a bit and call it a supercharged vacation or burnout retreat, so it's justified. Um, but mm -hmm. the only difference is because we do one-on-one -on -one interventions, it's not a group thing, it's not we go do some yoga classes and do some detoxes or whatever, which those are useful as well. Uh, we target specifically the nervous system to clear that out. So that's what makes us different. But mm -hmm. generally the umbrella of retreats uh, is just how do you get away from yourself? How do you think differently, right? Even talk therapies, all reframes, right? How do you, th our coaching as well, how do you think differently? And can we create an immersive environment uh, that allows for that, right? Um, and I even love, and, and both of us share a common thread, I love the Wim Hof uh, retreats where you do that and, and that specific intervention is with breathing and, and cold therapy right and and then applying right. it to 
blowing your breaking your mindset because you're doing some amazing things like hiking in your shorts or whatever uh mm-hmm. but just that is similar to like walking on hot coal or whatever it is because those are all uh, allowing your mental side of things with an experience to integrate right so you have an aha moment so when you go home right it's not just you've done it once but then you've experienced it and you know i can do it again right mm-hmm. now where retreats sometimes aren't as effective is when you don't have that integration so they they boost you up they get you all excited you're dancing you're screaming the music is up there and of course you're feeling like a million dollars because that's essentially dopamine that's just like right. pumping you up, right uh now uh now it just really depends on the retreat is do they what do they do during that time when you're pumped out and your mind is open uh, to share maybe different beliefs, different practices, different tools. And the challenges for most of these type of experiences is when they get home, it's not that they're a different person or not a different person per se, is uh, you don't take the action, right? And so in NLP, right. we call this uh, the four requisites. So what we, in NLP, what we do is we model success, right? In different areas. So whether it's we model how to be burnt out or we model how to be well, or like Wim Hof, if we took an NLP approach to Wim Hof would be like, how do we model specifically your breathing, your thinking, your internal processes during this time so that you can mirror and install that practice and replicate it, right? That's just called modeling. It's not just an NLP thing, but it's just in general, what we do as human beings, we model, right? Um, and so, right. If, so if you were to model sort of, you know, people who aren't successful, go to these four the changes, one, you need release work because if you don't release your baggage in your nervous system, then what you do is at the deepest unconscious layers, they will always come back up because they're habits, right? You spend so long in, in training it, you know, who, who do you think you can go to a, essentially a party if it's like one of those type of events and that all of our habits disappear overnight. Like it's not that type of miracle work, right? Right, right. You really need to have practices, including like uh, breathing practices that have a component of release in there. So step one is there has to be a component of release work in there for it to, to be successful. The second mm-hmm. step is what we call now setting outcomes, right? So this is the part where now you think differently, right? So if you don't do release work and we're just teaching you all this intellectual knowledge and, and having testimonials and stories and, you know, you know, I started off from nothing and I went to this or I started off in pain and I went to this thing and you can share those stories. If there is no release work, it's just intellectual. There is no connection. There's no aha moment, right? There's no transcendental moment that happens there. Mm. So step, so step one is you have to release. Step two is you set an outcome. And where everybody fails, usually like almost like nine, 80, if it's a parental principle, 80% of these retreats fail is right after that, you don't take action, right? And so Tony calls it massive action. But for me, just lean in. Don't need to really take massive action. Just take action. Because what that signals for the unconscious mind is I'm going to start to pull that energy in, spiritual, mental, emotional, and move that through my body. And that's what I, that one thing I love about uh, sort of physical modalities like yoga and stuff where you do do that is you move that into your body. So you begin to experience change, right? It feels great. And so, but sometimes it's not a physical thing, like get stronger, be more lean or more agile, whatever, right? It's things of an, a mental, emotional nature. Uh, you know, how do you connect it to the body? How do you make that psychosomatic? And so when we take action is as you clear release that baggage, you set new targets with the clear sort of a, a new identity. How do you take action towards your goals, right? This is now metaphysical becoming a, little, a lot more physical, right? Because goals are still metaphysical. It's still something that you plant into your future. 
what we say is goal setting is a conscious process, but goal getting is an unconscious one, right? Mm -hmm. So they're taking your action, step three, if you don't take action, then it's just, uh, you know, mind candy, right? So you take action and step four is focused, right? So that's all the iterative here today and all of your lean startups and everything. That's where you iterate and you learn and you keep things lean and blah, blah, blah. But really what it is, is focus, build habits, right? So you want to, at the end of the day is if you're, if you cleared everything up and you're moving towards that direction, right? You just want to, uh, one, uh, as you're going, ensuring that uh, things that used to be in the way or out of the way, that's the release work. But as that's gone, you realize, wow, life is so much clearer. And this is, by the way, for those who are in the metaphysical world, I use the word law of attraction, right? Isn't a mental game where you're consciously just trying to willpower your way through create, uh, creation mechanics is that's a part of it, right? That's the step two. The hidden part of law of attraction is the release work is if you don't clear that crap from your unconscious mind, mm right? It's almost like you have a supercharged rocket ship, but with a giant, big, big anchor tethered to you. And so the net effect is pain, right? Because the faster you go, that resistance, you feel it, right? Even though it could be a, a little parachute, right? Uh, going at it. So when you cut that, boom, you, 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 you slingshot, essentially, if that's the metaphor we want to use. So you take action, you focus, and that's where it gets fun, because then you can start teaching things like flow states and peak performance states and moving into joy and passion and aligning with your values and doing all of those things in any area of your life, right? whether it's your health, your relationships, your career, uh, you know, getting, getting yourself back out of debt or whatever it is and making, making money or whatever it is, or breaking a seven figure ceiling or whatever uh, those things are, you know, when you have that clarity, bam, you're just really having mm. a, a, a clear path that uh, for those who go through this experience, uh, what Carl Jung would say is it feels like synchronicity. Right? It feels like I just thought it, but yet the universe conspires with me and we just flow into it, right? We move downstream into it, right? And that's specifically when you know at the unconscious level, you've cleared that baggage. And so it's mm. not some metaphysical law, but there's a lot of like, law of cause and effects, tons of laws out there, right? universal concepts. But from a more practical standpoint, right, is how can you get, how can you stop yourself from self-sabotaging yourself have clarity and move with grace. That's it. That that really is the modern day version, what I call a law of attraction. That's awesome. I love that. And just so I understand you correctly, what I'm what I'm hearing is kind of these this three step approach, which I think is brilliant. Is it's about clearing and releasing the baggage, then setting outcomes or new goals or identities when you are clear from that place, and then building the action, the focus, taking action, and building focused action plan to build the habits to sustain yeah. that step four is focus step four is focus step four so step three is action and step uh, four step is, is focus action and step four is focus so what's the difference between action and focus action is that that decision that impulsive in that moment you go mm. right so that's sort gotcha. of where you know it's like the, the whole analogy of like work smarter versus work harder so the focus is a work harder piece of it but it shouldn't be hard it's just focus right? It is what it is. We don't yep. have to let it yep. and take action is a working smarter because you have to go, right? You just have mm. to go. The whole go. Yoda there is, there is do and do not. There's no in between. That's yeah, happen, that's right. right? Uh, so Amazing. there's no try there. It's just go, right? Or don't go. That's it. Love it. Um, question for you. So uh, the definition of burnout that you use is expending more energy than you can recover, right? Mm -hmm. uh, habitually. And I think it's interesting because 
what recovering energy looks like to people is different. And it's like, you might think, oh, I need to recover my energy. I need to like rest more. I need to like sit on the couch and chill out. But I found that that can actually really lead to even more burnout or stagnation when you're not stimulated. So like, how do you see those different things? How do you reconcile that? Or how do you talk about recovering energy? So the, the first skill you learn, by the way, that we teach, uh, we, we have something coming up called the burnout recovery challenge. That's literally day one. And so we do an energy audit protocol because it's all habits, right? So, uh, you know, because we're creatures of habit, believe it or not, you know, even if we use the 80-20 rule, 80% of our life is habitual. If if you want to be the one, I'm very novel and stuff. And I, like, I, I don't like, I don't like the stability. I'm always that, that loose cannon. Trust me, most of it's habits, the way you, you don't brush your teeth differently every day, right? You you still put on your 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 sleeve or your pants in the same way every day, right? If, you, if you're changing, if you have that much micro control every day, you'll just You'll, go, you'll be overwhelmed, right? And right. so we're, we're creatures of habit, right? And so what we audit is literally is, you can think of, go through all the events on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year, quarter-to-quarter, year-to-year. And you're just going through it. You can imagine almost a spreadsheet. There's like headings, right, in a column. You're going through all the events through your time. And then you have a label of what that event is, brushing my teeth, right, whatever it is, making breakfast, getting the kids ready, uh, going to work, commuting, whatever, first meetings, blah, 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 right? And so what's really important to measure, right? It's back to the old adage of the old management adage of you can't manage what you can't measure, right? It's all about mm-hmm. auditing. So if we're going to auditing, we might as well uh, use measurement science, right? Because then you're going to ask yourself the question is uh, zero to, I'll go like negative five to positive five, right? Negative five being the most draining, positive five being the most uh, most enriching and zero being net neutral. You can pick your own numbers. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, you know, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever, right? Just for this subjective index. And then what happens is you'll start to see what habits are actually uh, net neutral, energy enriching, or energy draining, right? So that's why sometimes you might say, oh, you think just sitting binge watching Netflix uh, is, mm. is, is relaxing, but you finish that binge watch and you're so dopamine high and you're like, I feel tired from this. Or you might come out from vacation today, I need a vacation from a vacation. So you're right. not on a plus five. And you're probably, as you're saying that, you're not even a net zero, you're probably like a negative one, negative two, right? And so the first thing you want to do is audit to see where are you on your own, subjectively, your own energy scale. And then you want to know what's the predominant emotion, right? Is there a familiar emotional home there? You, when that happens, are you always angry? Are you always sad? Are you always hurt? Are you always guilt? Or it triggers because of guilt or blah, blah, blah. And lastly is people, right? So is there anyone involved as a person, right? As a relationship in that. And so as you audit it, it's great because now you can start and, and it's great, especially for like what I call overgeneralized things like burnout. Some people, you know, especially if you're what we call like a little too fragile sometimes, you don't have that resilience and you'll, and you'll mm-hmm. imagine a bit and like, oh my God, I'm burning out. Like, hang on, hang on. Don't, please don't use those words. Let's actually be objective about it. Uh, and what we find out is some people quit too soon, especially their jobs. I'm burnt out, peace out, right? Or I'm burnt out, I can't be a successful entrepreneur anymore, right? It's hang on, hang on. There's probably only three or four or five things small things that if we change can make the biggest difference in your life right and so that's the number one skill set from a from a more of a your self-diagnostic is you mm-hmm. have to learn how to build a relationship with how you use energy that's i it. love that and yeah and you, you can't have, you can't change what you can't see so um, exactly right. that's that's awesome so the last question i have for you because time's flying over here which is great or as we wrap up is if someone's listening to this and they feel like they're burning out or they're feeling they're suffering from burnout or they're feeling like they're just, they don't feel that energy level that they really want to have. What, what's, what's the first step? 
Yeah, so I, I kind of combined this. So the first one is, and it's more of a public service announcement. I just laid it out there just to get people's yeah. uh, references, right? Is prevention and recovery are different. I know some people think they're the same. They're different processes, no different than uh, preventing COVID. Your vaccines, social distancing, wearing a mask is different than you can't breathe, right? So intervention, right. so the recovery is different, right? So recovery is, I actually feel burnt out, right? And I need to self-regulate. So going for a walk and some meditation and, and, and journaling and self-care and all those great prevent again, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. Uh, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. I like that. Um, but if you're burning out, you're, you're taking on water. Like you just, it's, you can't be po power positive thinking in a real way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so acknowledge that and that's okay. Acknowledge that. Actually, now I'm feeling this. It's time for me to recover, self-regulate mental, emotionally, right? And physically as well. But burnout is usually in the mental, emotional realm. Uh, when it gets physical, it, that's pretty late. That's almost like mid-late stage, right? When all that happens. And so when you feel that and you're not beyond that point of no return, so again, different, uh, again, burnout is an interesting one because I call it, it eats willpower for, willpower for breakfast. Um, <laughs> so, you know, unlike other change management, other change work where you can't have willpower, and you want to change, like, I want to learn yoga, or I want to learn a new practice or whatever, right? You can train your way through it. But if you're burning out, you know, you have no willpower for that, right? And willpower usually is you have a bad day of sleep or your sugar's off balance and boom, your willpower is gone, right? Mm. So, you know, when you're burning out, usually you're not sleeping well and usually you're double downing on caffeine and, 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 and quick sugar, right? Uh, just to get you to the next hour, forget the next day, right? Um, right. So if you feel that and it's you're living a life of from an energetic from an energy lens, not like an energetic lens, but energy, like I have no more energy and it's you're hitting diminishing returns, seek professional support, right? whether it's mm -hmm. the clinic or anybody else uh, who uh, has any modality that can release uh, that from a nervous system, uh, go for it, right? One form or another. Uh, now, if you do have energy, so you're like, okay, you know what? I actually want to learn this and DIY this myself and gain these new skills, whatever it is. Uh, then what I recommend is check out burnoutrecoverychallenge.com. Uh, completely free, 30 days free. You sign up yep. for that 30 days and we're going live. And what's the benefit there is, yes, of course, you'll learn all the skills to self-regulate, energy management, uh, week one, uh, mental mastery. What I mean by that, I know it's a label, is how to turn off that compulsiveness. So when you, even though you know you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyways, how do you mm -hmm. turn that off? And how do you effectively set boundaries, right? So that's that, that mastery piece effective for burnout recovery. Uh, part three is all emotion. Now is all emotional regulation. So that's when you learn how to anchor and activate states within your nervous system and pull that up instantly, right? And so super useful there. Uh, and then uh, part four is we move into mind-body connection. And, and Josh, like we, we resonate here is because that's when we bring in things like breath and stuff like that. Right. Because that now brings a psychosomatic piece together. And part five, lastly, is how do you now then build a prevention practice and uh, stop yourself from burning out in the future as you're peeling away the recovery onion, right? Mm. Uh, and you learn all of these skills. It's all skill-based. It's literally what we use, like our practitioners use as well uh, with our clients. Literally, we teach that to you so you can DIY that. And if you finish that, you also uh, have a chance to win a trip for two to uh, Jamaica, courtesy of our friends at Summing Travel. So, you know, learn amazing skills, recover. It's a pandemic, so you're going to all of us, including myself, even as a practitioner, have put on some bad habits, uh, clear those habits out, begin to self-regulate, recover, and perhaps even get a chance to uh, get a free trip out of it, right? I love it. 
Amazing. We'll certainly have that in the show notes as well. Um, Duncan, this has been awesome. Thank you, man. I could listen to you talk for hours and learn from you. I've got pages of notes already. So thanks for sharing. And uh, where can people find you to stay in the loop with things that you're up to? Yeah, so we're all on social. So at The Burnout okay. Clinic, you'll find us on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can check out our website, theburnoutclinic.com, or you can just um, di- uh, connect directly with me on LinkedIn. That's where, that's my social. That's where I'm most uh, uh, in. Uh, so if you want to connect directly with me, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Amazing. Cool. Duncan, thank you, brother. And uh, looking forward to, uh, to next time. You're welcome. Thanks, Josh, for having me. 